Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. What is good, everybody? We appreciate you joining us on another episode of the Coast to Coast podcast here on InsideCarolina.com. One of the many of the episodes or installments of the Inside Carolina Network of Podcasts, which all of which you need to be subscribed to. If you are not, please make that adjustment. Subscribe. Definitely rate and review us. Let us know if we're good, bad, or indifferent how you feel about the content that Inside Carolina is bringing to you on your mobile device or iPad or wherever it is that you get this content. But we appreciate you being here. I am your host, Joey Powell. With me, as always, the Cheech and Chong to my random extra in any Cheech and Chong movie. Uh, Sherelle McMillan, Sean Moran. Gentlemen, how goes it? Doing well. Yeah, Sherelle, you, you okay, buddy? You're all right. You're I'm right? good. I'm, I'm good. Are you a frozen statue of yourself? Yeah, yeah, as usual. You but... getting some breaking news to your to your <clears throat> phone there? What's happening? Uh, maybe breaking news on the show. Perhaps, not quite. Okay. <laughs> well, we'll uh, we'll we'll keep the the pin in that in case something does happen as we're okay. recording tonight. Yep. But we appreciate everybody joining us. We're gonna talk about a little bit of Tar Heel prospects, a little Tar Heel basketball. You know what we're about. You know what you're here for. After you've rated and reviewed us, make sure that you take some time to subscribe uh, if you have not. And if you are not a inside, not a not an inside Carolina premium subscriber. Make sure you take care of that, too. You'll get all the, the juiciness that comes with being a premium subscriber, all the news about the Tar Heels that you could want. A little bit of which was shared late yesterday or early today, depending on where you are in this great country of ours. But Sean Moran had some information about a Tar Heel commit that just absolutely went berserk in a game yesterday in high school basketball. Sean, tell us about what you saw and how you feel about DeMarco Dunn's performance against Terry Sanford, or as the scoreboard said on the video, Sanford commentary. Uh, yeah, so this is the first time I've been able to actually watch Dunn in the high school season this year. So I uh, was lucky, was able to watch some of it live, but then went back and was able to just watch watch kind of the recap. Um, and as it was noted, he scored 30 points. He hit five out of seven three-pointers. Um, but more importantly for me, just kind of was one just watching him play without, you know, without the highlights, which obviously shows all the, all the good, but getting to see, you know, how is he moving off the ball? What, what else is he doing? And, you know, overall it was a very efficient performance. Um, you know, I think in, in the first half he had 12 points, which obviously just, you know, puts him on pace to get over 20. And he had, you know, he only had really a few, a few touches first quarter, five points, um, misses first shot, got the rebound, got a layup hit a three, um, then went quiet for a little bit in the second quarter, all of a sudden seven points to really end the half. Uh, and then, then he started the second half and, and really Westover ran away with the game. Uh, he had 18 in the second, a few more threes, some fast breaks, et cetera. But I think, you know, for him with a lot of the sh really shooting guards now, you always kind of talk about them being a two one or, or, or wanting to play point guard and, for him, I mean, he's they, the team has a point guard, so he's truly on the wing. Uh, you know, he's helping out a little bit on the press, but he's he's truly a wing player. His shot looked good. 
Um, you know, I think even in the highlights last year, every time you see him, it's just catch and shoot. And, you know, he, he shoots a pretty, pretty high percentage, at least in high school. Um, I think a few things that were in the article um, that, that we've seen before on tape, but his left hand is really strong in terms of just the, the dribbling, uh, being able to, to pass just left-handed, uh, which, I, you know, is, is always a positive. Um, once again, doesn't need 20 dribbles, uh, so he's not really a big one-on-one player, uh, but he's a catch-and-shoot guy, can, can get open in the fast break, really long arms. Um, you know, Very think- high release point, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was something I jumped um, on. We started to step on you, but that's you've no, always no. been a good big mechanics guy, and that was the thing that I that jumps out at me, a non-mechanics guy. How do you do? You feel like that high release point will translate well for him since he does have such a, a long frame. I think it. I think it will. I mean, you know, when when you watch out of his seven threes, it was kind of a majority of just you know catch and shoot, like catch it and go, and then the other where he kind of had time and he would load up because he gets pretty good elevation, but he would kind of load up his shot, uh, really, you know, dive in, dive into it, uh, which obviously on the ACC level, he's not going to really have yeah. that time. But when he had, you know, when it was just catch and shoot, he looked perfectly fine and comfortable from range. And then I think it was really his last three pointer, which was around a minute 40 in the, in the video on inside Carolina, where he, he dribbled up from the left side and, basically did one of those kind of NBA step backs almost. And I remember I had to go back and watch it. Cause I, one, I was thought he might've traveled Two, I was wondering how the heck did he get behind the three point line from where he started, but <laughs> um, he did. And, and he got behind the three point line. So overall it was a very efficient performance. Uh, once again, I think we've seen on UNC as well as teams throughout the country, no matter how highly regarded players are freshmen, freshmen struggling. Uh, but I think, Ideally, with who Carolina has coming back, you know, the world is not going to be on his shoulders next year. Um, and with his shooting and size, I think could definitely be a strong contributor off the bench and a guy that really grows grows into a, a pretty productive role. And and I'll say it again, I think I don't I don't even remember where he's ranked right now, but wherever it is, I think it's too low. I'm not saying he's a top twenty guy by any means, but I think he's he's definitely uh, a little undervalued right now well and as we've mentioned about the current roster of Tar Heels that anybody can fill it up from the perimeter is going to find a place uh, in the rotation relatively quickly and the, the last play you mentioned yeah it was absurd he he started what looked like a, a full three feet in front of the line <laughs> crossed behind his back and stepped back to hit a you know a no doubt three and I, I'm like you I had to go back and watch it a few times to to put the physical nature together and see how he actually pulled that off but was an impressive showing. Shirelle, you got anything you want to throw in about uh, Westover's favorite? Uh, I would just say um, when you start thinking about how he fits into UNC's roster moving forward, um, and this is a point I've kind of talked about before, but uh, Carolina is kind of building two teams at once if you look at it. They are building a team this year that they hope can compete, you know, at least for Sweet 16, you know, second weekend type deal. I think that would be a really good uh, season for this particular team. Also within that team is a team, I think, towards the end of possibly Roy Williams' career uh, that could compete for a national championship. And that's the core that you expect to be there, you know, two to three years, which is your R.J. Davis and Puff Johnson and Kerwin Walton and probably Walker Kessler, um, at least those guys, those four, Anthony Harris, 
Um, so that core, you add someone like Dunn into that and you started to see the makings of a really, really strong, you know, seven or eight man uh, roster in, in a year or two. And I think me and Sean talked about it on this podcast, um, kind of coming into the season. A lot of people thought, oh, this is the year that Carolina's back. And we were like, maybe slow down on that a little bit <laughs> just because they're so young. Pump it thigh breaks. Yeah, I think the next couple of the couple of years are when they will really start to compete again. You know, the highest level for a national championship, for a number one seed, all those good things. And Dunn is going to be a perfect fit. You know, what's better for UNC than a low usage, high efficiency wing? Like if Roy Williams asked for a perfect wing in his system, it'd be someone who didn't need the ball a lot, who could hit open shots, who rebounds and who screens. And I think Dunn, especially, you know, as he gets into his second and third year, will be able to do that. And he'll, he'll definitely play some. I think he's a freshman, too. I don't think he has the frame yet. Sean, you, you might be able to glom onto this a little bit, unless I'm totally off base. He's got a little Reggie Bullock in him to me, um, which is the closest UNC comparison I've been able to make just by looking at the guy. And I know Sherelle is not a big fan of comparisons, but I, I'm throwing it out there just because I want our listeners and our viewers to be able to kind of compare him to someone. And I think from what Sherelle just said, too, that's a that's a pretty decent thing for for what – the whole unit of Tar Heels needs is a guy like Reggie Bullock who can rebound really well from the perimeter for you, but could all always be counted on to knock down an open shot. You feel like yeah, I think, you know, from a, when I was watching, you know, from a frame perspective, and once again, when you have guys in the eighties, nineties, um, you know, if they're going pro, usually it's years three or, or they're staying four years. And I think the only thing that would cause him perhaps not to stay four years is, frame is kind of an NBA frame. I think he needs to get uh, more explosive off, you know, off two feet or one foot when he's attacking the basket. But I think the frame is, you know, kind of gives him a, a long-term upside. And then one thing we really didn't talk about was defense and Westover plays uh, really kind of a one, three, one or, or zone defense a lot of the time. Um, and, and he's, or even kind of a two, three, but he's on the perimeter a lot. And he can get steals and deflections. Um, so he, he has just that natural ability. I think obviously you, UNC when you're playing in man and, you know, getting put in, put in pick and rolls all the time of having a, a little bit higher concentration level. But I think just the, from the frame perspective, the ability to be a, a plus defender is definitely there. And switching gears to another prospect that actually is now off of UNC's radar uh, Shrill, you want to give us some news that uh, about a prospect that's decided he's going to take his talents elsewhere? Yeah, so Isaac McNeely, who is a uh, guard slash wing, uh, probably closer to a combo guard, maybe could play some wing, 6'4 out of West Virginia, uh, committed to UVA over the weekend. Now, he was someone who UNC or someone who included UNC in his, uh, I think it was final eight list uh, without a scholarship offer. So that goes to show that he was, you know, kind of mulling it over with UNC and giving them serious consideration. But I think in the end, UVA seemed like a, a, a better fit for him. Um, they had offered and, and UVA has a way of doing things to make sure that they get commits from guys that they really, really like. And I think that's what happened there. Um, it's interesting though, because it impacts a player in, it could impact a player who is in Charlottesville. Uh, we talked about on the podcast before Justin Taylor, um, another guy in 2022, who UNC is kind of kicking the tires on and showing some interest. Uh, you know, I, I don't know UVA scholarship situation, but you start to wonder how many more guys they can, can they can take in that class. Um, and so whether or not 
McNeely impacts Taylor. You know, Taylor's the hometown kid and whether or not he can still go to UVA, I'm not sure. But, you know, that's another body in a position that's similar to the one that Taylor plays. Um, so something to look out for. Uh, McNeely off the board. He was a teammate of Puff Johnson um, or in, from the same program as Puff Johnson on the AAU circuit. So uh, UNC missed out, didn't offer. So I, I guess they wanted to go in a different direction. And now they move on in 2022. And like Sherelle lightly alluded to, we are not a UVA recruiting podcast, but there is some potential ripple effect with how McNeely's commitment might affect uh, some other guys down the line, specifically with Taylor. All right, take a quick break to mention our friends, our cronies, our homies, our supporters, big, big fans of Inside Carolina and InsideCarolina.com. Johnny T-shirt, Johnny T-shirt, Johnny T-shirt.com the place where real Tar Heels get their gear. Johnny T-shirt right there on Franklin Street. They've been there forever. Family owned, locally run, uh, and we've been trying to support local as much as we can since this pandemic started, and that won't change. We hope you will consider sending some business down towards our friends at Johnny T-shirt. Hey, InsideCarolina.com premium subscribers, you get that extra 10% off top of their already ridiculously low incredibly competitive prices on just about anything you could want that has the Tar Heel logo name or brand upon it. Additionally, if you need stuff for your man cave, your man tower, uh, your garage, your office uh, that is related to the Tar Heels, they got that too. So hit Johnny T-shirt up, johnnytshirt.com. Visit them on Franklin Street. They can do curbside delivery to your car so you don't even have to go in the store or you can use their great shipping, which is always reasonable and always gets there really quick. JohnnyT-shirt.com. We appreciate them supporting us. want you to support them as well. Right now, take a quick break. Let the national guys stack some ads right in here. And we'll be back in just one second to talk about the current Tar Heel roster and how they're getting things done in the ACC. All right, we're back. Thanks for sticking around on the Coast to Coast podcast with Sean Moran and Sherelle McMillan. I am Joey Powell, merely your host. Boys, we saw... Only one game of the Tar Heels this past week since our last episode, but that game was impressive. And I dare say, you've heard me say it a hundred times on here, they're figuring things out. Uh, what I'd like to ask, and Sean, I'll start with you. What did you see differently in this game that maybe we hadn't seen before that you think contributed to such a positive outcome in Pittsburgh? Well, you know, I think offensively, this was was one not their best game on a point per possession basis, but pretty, pretty close. Um, I think when I was rewatching the game, it kind of reminded me of the Georgia Tech game almost for a little bit where UNC was clearly playing as the better team, um, except in this game, they're able to stretch out the lead at different points um, so that, you know, at some point, every team is going to make a run or they're going to play well. But uh, unlike in Georgia Tech, when Pitt did make that run, UNC had a cushion and, you know, UNC was also able to respond uh, when those runs were made in the first half as well as the, the second half versus Georgia Tech where, you know, you might have only had a three, five-point cushion and now they make a run and now you're scrambling. So that, that was kind of a similar, similarity um, when I was kind of rewatching the game of just having that Georgia Tech game in my mind. Um, but, I, you know, the other thing that stuck out was UNC is willing to – take better shots at times. Um, I think, you know, I have a few possessions in particular in the second half where it looked like Leakey wanted to unleash a three and he kind of thought better of it and, and tried to work it 
work it down low where, where Armando was having another great game. And, and this time Garrison was playing really well also. Um, so I thought just the patience to kind of, you know, work it around and, and try to get a better shot was, um, you know, something that I enjoyed seeing. And uh, obviously a win on the road, you know, now we've seen Pitt has obviously struggled since their win at Duke, but uh, you know, as, if you're winning on the road and, you know, especially as kind of a one to three point favor, that that's hard to do. And they controlled the game. And even when it got a little dicey after giving up that 16 point lead, they, they hit big shots and, you know, survived down the stretch. So uh, those were some of the few things that I, that I liked as I was watching it. They definitely showed some moxie and some toughness in those responses that you're talking about. And then specifically with the offense, I love that you brought that up. I would actually propose that we call it for the purposes of this podcast uh, in this new world of emojis in which we live. There were some of those uh, sets that were just straight up eggplant offense where it was just passing back and forth, uh, crisp passes, great decisions and finding the closest guy. I think one of them finished from went from leaky to garrison and finished with uh, with Armando getting a dunk out of it, which was just just beautiful passing and, and really good ball reversal. Uh, Sherelle. One of the things I did see, too, in defense, not just talking about the eggplant offense here, but defensively, I saw the Tar Heels switch a lot more perimeter screens than I think I've seen them switch in a long time against an opponent that wasn't Duke. Do you think that's something that, that Roy Williams can probably deploy a little more? And I know we talked about it a little bit uh, on the Inside Carolina Live radio show on WCHL this past Saturday, but I want to see if you might be able to share if you think that's uh, – that's something we could see more often, or if it's just Roy getting getting more trusting in the players. That he I, I think it's a little bit of trust, but it also is funny how <clears throat> kind of every season it starts and we talk about defensive rotations and then it gets to the Duke game and everybody's like, oh man, Duke shot 10 for 42 from three. Like what happened? And everybody, Roy's <laughs> like, yeah, we decided to switch, switch screens. And it's like, oh, okay, it's the Duke game. So we're switching screens now. Like it's kind of a buildup every <laughs> single year. Like I remember reading the game stories I, and it would be so funny about how I, I would forget like, oh, they're, they're switching screens again. Um, but yeah, yeah, you know, I think part of it, they had to, uh, what, part of it was because Champagne is so good and, and just the way that Johnson and, and those guys play. So, you know, it was in their, it, you know, to, to try to make sure um, that they competed defensively, they had to make sure they did that. So I think that was part of it. It was a necessity. I also think that um, it's partly trust. And I don't know if they actually gained as much trust as we might think from that game. Cause there were a lot of, uh, a few breakdowns on switches um, where guys yeah. were just, you know, uh, not not to single anyone out, but you know, Leaky would go one way and Curran would go the other way, and it leads to a wide open dunk. That happened on, early in the second half. Yeah, that was yeah. very very contagious. I think it was probably four or four of five or four of six possessions where that happened. Um, so, but yeah, I, I do think it's something that they will do more, especially when you get to teams who have those uh, you know uh, stretch fours uh, that we like to call them. Uh, Armando has done to me a, a great job of of. Uh, uh, defense on those guys this season he's he's moved his feet really well kept his hands up you know sometimes he gets a foul call but I think he's done a good job with it um, but you know as they start to face some tougher teams I do think you'll see it more but not something that they'll do the entire game I think you'll see it in stretches and and that's what he's typically done in, in the past so kind of a similar question that I asked to Sean earlier is there anything that you've seen that's jumped right off the screen at you at, at what this team is doing differently 
that we feel like is is contributing to these um, to to these wins and the success they've had. Uh, Sean made a great point about the responses that they've they've shown anytime they got uh, they had the lead shrunk on them against uh, against Pittsburgh. Is there anything specifically that you've seen, whether it's with X's and O's, where do you think it's with individual players understanding their roles a little more? Uh, anything that just jumps out at you, like, hey, they weren't doing this two weeks ago. That's you, real. Oh, I thought. Sorry, I thought you said Sean. My bad. Um, so, I think it is better shot selection uh, to start. Um, I think throughout the season they've shown the ability to come back. They've shown the ability to kind of fight through things. If they got down ten, if they got down fourteen, there was all that time not too long ago where every game it felt like they were down twenty-one to nine or twenty-three to ten, and they fought back, and then they would run out of gas. I think so. That's been a constant throughout the season. What's different now is that, um, you know, maybe the four or five shots that they would take after they got back into the game weren't great shots. And now those shots are going to Baycott, they're going to Brooks, they're going to Sharp, or they're going to Walton if he's open. And so just that little bit of, of difference from, you know, RJ or Caleb or Leaky or whomever taking a bad shot when it's tied at 71 now that ball goes into Baycott for either, you know, a layup or maybe he gets fouled. So I think just that little small bit of, of uh, change of recognition by the guards of continuing to force feed the post and make sure there are paint touches. I think that's a, a huge difference. And then besides that, man, it's just there's not a, it, I don't think there's been a magic elixir or anything. I think they're just playing better to, to your point that there's growth, that there's experience. Um, they know what the coaching staff wants from them. And above all else, I think, most of the team now is much more confident than they were, you know, say a month ago. And, you know, when you're confident, just everything is, everything's easier. Everything's better. There's more energy. when you defend better, same thing. Um, so all that adds up to me. And it, I don't think it's one necessarily thing. I just think they're playing better. They're confident and they're realizing their potential. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. And you've heard the coaching staff say it a lot. Uh, and most people have, uh, who have watched Carolina basketball, especially with young guys, understand how valuable winning is and what winning can do for a squad and they've you know they, they've often uh refrained the coaching staff that is about you know the only way to to learn to win is just by winning and it seems like they're they're doing that sean as as we turn our attention towards clemson uh this coming week i i said on the radio show this past week they're an enigma uh wrapped in mystery shrouded in the unknown and they proved that again in their last two games they go in they go and beat Louisville in what was uh, an absolute, you know, slugfest, uh, played in the mud. It was gross. And then they go and play big, in Big Cameron. 10 style. Yes. Um, and they played against uh, – they played against Duke this past weekend and uh, couldn't throw it in the ocean, whereas Duke was seemingly making everything. I feel like Duke probably shot unofficially 82% for that game. <laughs> so, knowing what we know about, about Clemson's – up and down identity and how they vacillate. What do you think the Tar Heels need to be doing to prepare for this game? What do you think we can expect to see out of them? Or if you want to give some Clemson insight, what you expect to see out of Clemson too, have at it. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, in terms of Clemson, it's been a tale of two seasons in the ACC so far of, you know, they're getting so much hype as the number one defensive team in the country. And then UVA came to town and all of a sudden it was, you know, how great is UVA, but really <laughs> it, it wasn't so much, I mean, it was UVA that game, but that's kind of continued. And you look at, you know, the last five games, their offense has just fallen off a cliff and their defense is averaging uh, 1.18 points per possession yeah. <laughs> in terms of what they're giving up. UNC hasn't even done that offensively at all. So, uh, you know, right now Clemson is, is reeling. Um, 
So, you know, for UNC, it's another, you know, once again, six, they've won six out of their last seven, six of those wins have come against teams with, with really Syracuse as the best one. So we're not talking any top 40 wins here. Uh, so this is another opportunity to, to get a win against a, an average at best team. But that being said, I, I know, you know, I can predict that Amir Sims will probably hit, you know, four to five, four <laughs> to five threes. Absolutely. Um, you know, he, he's the guy, you know, he played well last year. Um, you know, looking at the Duke game, they shot five of 21, but he was six of 11. So I, you know, I think he's, he's going to be a key, you know, once again, it's a team that they'll spread the floor offensively. They haven't shot the ball well, but all it takes is a few to get, get the confidence going. Um, but I think for UNC, it's just continuing to play smart. I mean, they had 13 turnovers last game. Clemson's going to try to turn, you know, turn you over, especially the freshmen, you know, try to, they'll probably watch the Pittsburgh game. And, and when Pittsburgh started pressing, not that UNC was turning the ball over that much, but it kind of got them out of, out of rhythm. Um, so I think, you know, once again, Clemson got, you know, got the, the big win in Chapel Hill last year. So there's not really the pressure of, of, of anything coming into the game. But once again, for UNC, it's just trying to play consistent, take advantage of the matchups. Um, you know, they'll probably dominate on the boards again, but if they can, if UNC can continue to play smart and play well, hopefully, you know, similar to pick game, they'll come out with a win. But, you know, once again, I wouldn't be surprised if, all you know, Clemson just shakes off the last three weeks and, you know, it's, it's putting together a pretty, pretty decent game. So, Shrell, I'll throw it to you. Any predictions or just gut instincts as to what you think may happen against Clemson on Tuesday? Well, the natural inclination is to say, of course, Clemson's going <laughs> to, at some point, they have to have a get right game and it's going to yep. be UNC. <laughs> now, they might shoot, they're going to shoot better because I think UNC's defensive philosophy is going to make it easier for them to shoot better. Not saying their defensive philosophy is bad, but just it is not predicated on stopping the three. Is predicated on, you know, stopping the guy going to the basket. So they're going to get open looks. We know that it's just a matter of whether or not they, they hit a couple, which I, I think they will. I mean, even though they've been terrible the last few weeks, um, these are still college players. So I expect that they'll shoot better than you said, five for 21 uh, against Duke. Yeah. I expect they'll shoot a little bit better than that. Uh, maybe not much better, but I, I expect it'll be better. I think for UNC, just pound the ball inside, man. If you get a mere Sims in foul trouble, it's kind of cutting off the head of the snake, so to speak. I mean, it, he does so much for that team. Um, if, if Baycott can, can you can get him the ball and, and Baycott can get him, you know, a foul or two in the first half, that changes things dramatically. Then you're taking away the one guy who I think can really um, shoot efficiently and effectively in the paint for Clemson. You're taking him away and then you're making them um, into kind of a five out <clears throat> offensively or four out uh, offensively type of team. So to me, that's the key is, is pound the ball inside, go at Amir Sims every single time on offense, try to get that guy in foul trouble. You're going to give up a, a few threes, even though they've been ice cold, have to withstand that and then make your free throws because um, with the way UNC plays, I, I do think they're going to be going to the foul line a, a good deal um, with the way Clemson plays defense and the way UNC wants to play offense. So make your free throws, get Amir Sims in foul trouble, and I think they can get out of there with a win. It's funny because <laughs> before the Duke game on Ken, Ken Palm's projections, it was a one-point loss. And I guess losing to Duke by 30 is worth two points because now it's a, <laughs> it's a one-point Carolina – excuse me, three points. It's a one-point Carolina win now. That just flipped over the weekend. So Oh, well, <clears throat> who knows where that comes from. But just to, 
to reframe what you guys have talked about, I'll share with our listeners and our viewers. Clemson's last four point totals, and these are in 40-minute games, uh, 65, 61, 54, and 53. Uh, to Sean's point, that is Big Ten basketball. Uh, and <laughs> to echo what you guys were kind of tipping at a little bit, I'm going to say that the guy that, that absolutely shoots out of his mind against the Tar Heels and, you know, goes against all uh, all practical intention and what everybody thinks is going to happen. I'm going to say it's going to be a Clyde Trap, who will go absolutely nuts from beyond the arc and throw in a thousand a thousand points from from the three point line. <laughs> Sean, anything else to add before we? Uh, you, you got two pennies for us. Sean's two cents. <laughs> uh, well, I'll throw Hunter Tyson as a guy that uh, probably is hitting hitting a few more threes than than normal. But you know, I think. For Clemson, they they you know they're not a UVA pace, but they play extremely slow. Um, so it doesn't really affect UNC as much this year, even though UNC is trying to get up and down. Um, but once again, a slow paced team that is top twenty, you know, really top twenty five and forcing turnovers. And we we know that's been a problem on on UNC's end. So the possessions are probably going to be a little more a little more limited. And I mean, just looking at the stats, I mean, even with it shooting pretty terribly over the last five games are still shooting 35% from the three point line as a team. And they shoot about, I think it's 40% plus of their shots come from three. So, you know, if they're on, it'll be, it'll be a game. And I kind of misspoke earlier. It's at Clemson, but uh, once again, winning on the road is never easy, no matter how good or what team you are. So, you know, in, in my mind, if they can, if UNC can get two, would love to go three and over the next three, but if they can get, Two, you know, go two and one. I would take that three and zero is better. But once again, to get to two to one, you you need you need the you need you need the win against Clemson. So yeah, got to get two yeah. before you get three. I forgot we're not talking before the big one again, are we? For on this podcast, we're, we'll be talking after it, but not before it. I mean, is is, is it a big one? Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's neither it's team always, is neither team is ranked. Um, it's always a big one. If if look, man, if you want to have at it, fire away. I just no, I, okay, okay. If it's tell me, you tell me if it's a big one. How many U fans will UNC fans will be ecstatic? You know, in a week, if they <laughs> would have beaten Clemson and then gone on the road and beaten their rivals in, at Duke. I mean, we'll be ecstatic. You know, it, it's always a big one, and um, not to like get all into serious commentary or anything, uh, but Duke is a talented team, and they're a talented team who's starting to play better. Um, and UNC is a talented team who's starting to play better and all those guys know each other and they compete against each other. And this year, like you said, with the, the schools relatively struggling compared to what they usually do, who knows whether or not, you know, a win against UNC or a win against Duke might be enough to put either school over the top and, you know, kind of submit them, not just in the tournament, but as a, as a decent seed. So I think it's important, but not for the same reasons it usually is. Usually we're talking about, okay, which one of these teams is going to win the ACC and which one is going to be a number one seed. Um, important for different reasons this year, but I think still very, very important, especially for the trajectory of North Carolina uh, moving forward. Well, I do agree that it would be a, a nice little win. I, I just don't know anything about Duke. I've watched them play six or seven times. <laughs> I feel like they don't play any defense, uh, which is absolutely stomach you know turning to say about a a Mike Krzyzewski coach team but I I have watched them ad nauseum and I just I they don't play any defense and and I Mm -hmm. don't know what to think about them so I'm sure they'll shoot the they'll shoot the lights out against the Tar Heels and it'll be um five out and none in Uh, (laughs) they will drive a dish all night 
some Jordan Goldwire will go for 30. Uh, I, I <laughs> what, what am I missing? Sean, anything you want to throw in about the Duke game? I, I wasn't prepared to go there, but Shrill's taking us. I'm willing to play along. No, I mean, I, I think as usual, the matchups will be fascinating to watch. As Shrill mentioned, I mean, they, they do have a lot of individual talent that's, that's still trying to put it together. Um, but once again, you know, will Mark Williams come off the bench and get a lot more playing time because are you really going to have Matthew Hurd and Jalen Johnson guarding the bigs? But once again, then you're just going to, you, you know, you'll have Johnson and, and Hurd on the perimeter. So I think it'll be a very interesting kind of chess match with the, you know, two very completely different teams uh, going on, but, you know, last year they should have had the game uh, in Chapel Hill and, and obviously let that one go. And then, you know, the, the game at Duke, which, was really the last time I was actually out in public watching, watching a game before the pandemic. Um, and they kind of got run off the court with Robinson going crazy. Um, so it'll be a good one. And, and once again, if they could go three and zero, that'd be amazing. But, you know, once again, two, two and one is, is the, the goal at worst. All right. Before we shut it down, I'm going to set the over under at three pointers taken by Duke in that game at 34 and a half. Uh, Shrill, you taking the over or under? I'm going over. Yeah, Sean, you feel the yeah. same? Over. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, right. Well, let me let me let me let me hedge a little bit. It depends on how much Wendell Moore plays. If Wendell Moore, you know, plays 20 minutes or less, then I'm going to go under. If he plays, <laughs> uh, sorry, I was switch switch. If he plays 20 minutes or less, I'm going to go over. If he plays 20 minutes or more, okay. I'm going to go under. I was because say, I, I didn't realize he took nine threes against Clemson. I didn't realize Why? he'd gone full chucker, but apparently. <laughs> Oh, I didn't realize that. I didn't realize he took nine either. Okay, I'm I'm, I'm keeping the under. I mean, I'm right. keeping the over. No matter what, keeping the no over. <laughs> to our listeners, you you know, find your uh, find your nearest bookie and and throw down some. It's gonna be live betting, live betting over under. Yeah, three th- throw down some some coin on the over thirty four no and a half prop bet of Duke three pointers attempted in the Duke Carolina game next week. Entertainment a, purposes only. And for informational and entertainment purposes only, we appreciate you, you throwing out the disclaimer. All right, y'all. Thanks for being here. Sean Moran, Sherelle McMillan, always bringing the heat. Enjoy doing these shows with you. Hope that you guys out there enjoy listening and or watching if you're checking us out on YouTube. Thanks for being here. Special shout out to Johnny Siegs for producing the show, for Johnny T-Shirt, for supporting the show, for Sean Moran, Sherelle McMillan. I'm Joey Powell. We will check you guys next week on the Coast to Coast podcast here on InsideCarolina.com. Late. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by T-Shirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase.